Do you ever struggle with the idea that God has a call in your life, a, a mission for you to fulfill? That he really does want to use you to make a difference where you work, where your kids play, on your street? Uh, wouldn't you just rather that after you became a Christian, all, all you really have to do is live quietly for Jesus in your home, just, you know, work well at your place of work where you live with integrity and, and, and show care to others? You know... Just a nice, quiet Christian life. Just kind of you and your family and a few friends and Jesus. A lot of us, we, we, we struggle with the idea that God has saved us uh, to be on a mission. I, I had that struggle. Although for you, mission doesn't have to mean being a pastor or an international worker with uh, the Alliance Canada or something like that, as it did for me. But maybe the struggle I had to become a pastor is not that different than the struggle some of you experienced to not just live in love like Jesus, but uh, to speak up and, and invite others to consider Jesus. I, I suspect that God is calling many uh, uh, of you to speak up and, and to act on behalf of Jesus. I mean, the Apostle Peter, the half-brother of Jesus, says this about our mission as everyday followers of Jesus. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Yeah, we go, I can do that. I can revere Christ in my heart. No problem. But then he says, this means always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. That's a little tough, right? We have to be prepared to speak. It's part of our mission. It's part of our calling. We are not arrogant we are not loudmouths we are not in your face internet trolls we simply need to be ready to respond and to speak up for jesus just just tell our story whatever it is right when jesus opens the door for us and when that door opens we do it with gentleness and respect my own struggle is not a struggle that most of you will directly uh, identify with but it does reflect a struggle that we all face to some degree or another I've told you all about my godly grade one teacher, if you've been around here any time, from a Catholic school who introduced me to Jesus and taught me how to begin to follow Jesus and pray to him in both formal and informal ways. Yeah, my journey with Jesus actually began in a grade one classroom. So did actually my call to become a pastor, or at the time I thought it was a priest. I very clearly experienced God, heard God, had this profound sense that God was calling me to serve him in full-time vocational ministry. Okay, I didn't use a big word like that in grade one, but that's what happened. But as I grew older, I, I, I kind of pushed that experience back, and I began to consider other options. My father, who was an electronics guy, uh, who when I was born was doing installation for NORAD, that's the North American Air Defense. It was to protect us from the Russians, and he was kind of hoping that I would become an electronic engineer. And, and that was a possibility, and, but deep down I still had this sense of calling that I was pushing away. My, my father told me that he sort of had the calling too at one point, but didn't want to live a life of poverty. Anyways. My uncle, however, after a career in banking, pursued the call, and he's a retired United Church minister with a strong faith in Jesus. So I made a bit of a compromise with God. I, I had this strong sense that I should go to what was then called the Ontario Bible College, what is now called Tyndale University. Instead, um, I went to the University of Toronto to become a high school teacher. 
Uh, this would, uh, I had it all figured out. This would give me my summers off and I could work at a Christian camp during the summer and kind of fulfill God's call that way. The director of our camp at the time at the boys camp was just that. He was a high school teacher who gave his summers to direct a camp. So I thought this was great. It was modeled before me. Deal, right God? Now, if you've been around Fort City for any length of time, you will have heard my story over and over. How God sent people my way to speak God's word, to speak God's call to me. That included the pastor of the church I was attending. He he spoke very strongly to me about God's call to me for full-time pastoral ministry. That the call was very clear and evident to him. I just believe like any good pastor, right, his job was to recruit for the cause. So... I ignored him and kept going forward for Teachers College. I won't take time to explain how I ended up in seminary preparing for pastoral ministry rather than Teachers College, but as I thought about this godly prophet in my life by the name of Sidney Hoffman, it got me thinking about how many of you probably do like I did, kind of tune out my calls when I say God's calling you to do something, God's calling you to ministry. I mean, I tuned it out, so I'm not surprised if any of you do too, but... Still, I'm going to try again and say, hey, God's got something for you to do. It it won't involve a career change for most of you. It just requires you being willing to serve and speak when you sense God calling you. And and that brings us to the Old Testament story of Jonah that we've been kind of hit and miss with over the last month. For two Sundays, we've taken some time to focus on the Bandurko Kazantseva family from Ukraine and celebrate what God is doing uh, in bringing them here. And yeah, it's just been awesome. So our, our series on Jonah has been a bit disjointed. And, and if you have not met the Bandurko Kazantseva family, just, just wave back there, Artem and, and gang. Yes, um, you should take the time to meet them before you leave and practice your Ukrainian on them. Um, <laughs> Or let them practice their English on you. Now, just speak slowly, all right? They, they get some of it. It's, it's, yeah, he probably doesn't have a clue what I'm saying right now, but anyways. All right, today I'm going to wrap Jonah up all together on the theme of mission. Uh, Jonah's mission and our mission. Uh, there are only four chapters in the book of Jonah, but there's a lot packed into those four chapters, and we'll, we'll only scratch the service. Now this guy Jonah, he is a rogue prophet, he is a reluctant prophet, he is a resistant prophet. As I explained a couple of weeks ago, he was racially prejudiced. When God told you, told him, I want you to go to the city of Nineveh, which is the largest city in the world at the time, he goes, I'm not going to do it. They're the enemy. They're politically different than me. I don't like those guys. I hate them. And I don't want you, God, to bless them. I don't want you to use them. I don't want you to forgive them. And so he runs in the opposite direction. Instead of going east to Nineveh, he goes west to Tarshish, a seaport on the coast of Spain. Let me go back to the end of the first chapter of Jonah. As Jonah jumped on this ship to run in the opposite direction of the city of Nineveh, you know, where God had called him to preach God's heart to the people, as he's going in the opposite direction, a fierce storm overtakes the ship, and it's about to go down. Jonah lets the sailors know that the storm is his fault, that the only way to calm the seas is to, like, toss him overboard and cast him into the sea to his death or perhaps God's mercy. Let's pick up the story at the end of chapter 1. Then they, 
we're talking the ship's crew, took Jonah and threw him overboard. And the raging sea grew calm, like instantly. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord, and they made vows to him. Now the Lord provided a large fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three day, nights. Now that's a whale of a story. Do we, do we take it literally or not? Well, the lessons we learn from the story stay the same, whether we take the story literally or, or see it as a literary device. Myself, I have no problem taking it literally. Our God is Lord over nature, over the seas, over the big fish of the seas. He is able to intervene miraculously. There is no reason to doubt the truth of this story if our God is who our God says he is. And truth is, so many of us here have personally experienced the mighty power of God in our lives, the, the healing power of God in our lives. So for those of us who have experienced the power of God in our lives, this is, this is not hard to accept. But if you don't, no worries. It doesn't change what God wants us to learn from this story. So what's happening in these three verses that I just read? Well, besides the sailors coming to faith in God because of this huge miracle where the sea grows calm, and we talked about that two weeks ago. It is so awesome. But besides that, what is happening? Well, the sailors heave Jonah overboard. The seas instantly stop their raging. Jonah then begins this slow descent to the bottom of the ocean. Now, I'm sure it's not true here, but often Sunday school teachers tend to rush over this part of the story. But we learn that the, from the text that this is not a quick descent. We learn this from the prayer that Jonah prays next. So you have to read chapter 2 in order to understand this part of chapter 1. You see, the writer of the book of Jonah wants us to understand the, the hopelessness that grips Jonah as he's crushed by the deepest parts of the untamed ocean. Um, Jonah is getting his wish, really, to run away from God, and he is going as far away from God as possible. What we're told in, in chapter 2, that he goes to the realm of the dead, to the belly of Sheol as his life ebbs away, that's just a little further from God than maybe what Jonah had bargained for. So the storm and the sea are about to take his life. Then God, right? God sends a great fish to save Jonah from the certainty of death, to pry open the bars of Sheol. Sheol is an Old Testament concept of hell. Anyways, the fish swallows Jonah. Jonah recognized that God has just saved him, and, and so he prays to and he worships God from the belly of this fish. Let me just uh, give you a side note on this as I'll show you a picture of a whale shark. The Sunday school version of the story has Jonah swallowed by a whale. Friends, a whale is not a fish. It's a mammal. Of course, you all remember that from biology, right? So the writer, we don't know who he or she is, uh, um, could actually be correct calling it a fish and not a whale. The picture on the screen is of a whale shark. Jonah could fit in there just fine. The next picture will give you a sense of how big that whale shark can grow. And, and yeah, the Sunday school teacher is partially right. The word whale is there. But a shark is a fish, and the whale shark is the largest fish in the world. It can grow to like 40 feet long or longer than a school bus. Some think that it grows to 80 feet or two school buses long. More than enough room to accommodate Jonah, wouldn't you say? And I'll admit, this is just a theory. We don't totally know if it was a whale or a fish or what I think, a whale shark. 
So Jonah is in the belly of this huge fish for three days and three nights. If you're church raised, that just might sound familiar, right? And Jesus, he talks about this. He's in the middle of some conflict with the religious leaders of his day. <coughs> and in this one of his conflicts, he makes reference to Jonah's three days in the big fish and compares it to himself. And by the way, we see there that Jesus takes the story literally. Just thought I would throw that in there. We read, Then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. He answered, A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up at judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now something greater than Jonah is here. Friends, so much of what you read in the Old Testament has multiple meanings, which is why it's so hard to read sometimes. And so often what you read in the Old Testament is a prophetic picture of the life and death of Jesus. The story of Jonah is one of those prophetic pictures of the life and death of Jesus. Now, the writers of the Gospels tell us that Jesus went to the land of the dead during his three days in the tomb. And the writer of the book of Jonah describes Jonah's descent as he's drowning in the sea, as he's experiencing Sheol. Uh, Jesus is then resurrected to life three days after his death, and Jonah gets spit out onto dry land after three days after his death-like experience. And, and when Jonah is put back on dry land, well, that's salvation. It's, it's rescue has happened, and now it's time to go on, on mission. And, and the Bible, thank you, and the Bible is full of stories of how God rescues people from hopelessness, despair, and, and even death itself. And more importantly, how God rescues us from our sin and how Jesus is the one who does the rescuing. That is the power of Jesus' death and resurrection that rescues us, rescues us from the pit of hell and hopelessness and despair and death. The rescue of Jonah is so that he could fulfill his mission. This is a picture of what Jesus does for you and me so that we can fulfill the mission that Jesus has given us to impact our city and world with the love of Jesus. This is a story about running away from the mission of God, the mission God has for you. The idea of the story is, hey, don't be like Jonah, okay? My own experience of running from the mission that God had for me um, is not as intense as what Jonah experienced, thankfully, but God did not back off from calling me. And I tell you that God will not back off from calling you either. Like you, me, like Jonah, we're saved for a purpose. We're saved to be on mission for Jesus, to make a difference for Jesus in the world, to, to point people to the love and transforming power of Jesus. You do know that God is calling you to do something, to speak to or pray for someone at work, to join maybe a team here at Fort City, to volunteer with YWAM to serve lunches to high school kids. Yeah, September is coming and we'll need new volunteers there. Maybe God's calling you to work with refugees or to work with the homeless in our city. I don't know what it is, but I do know that if you are a follower of Jesus, to follow Jesus means following him in his mission. It means he's asking you to do something. 
So Jonah runs from the mission he's called to. He gets thrown overboard because he's created a huge storm for this boat he's on. And he's drowning and going down, down, down. And then he's swallowed. Really, he's rescued by a big fish. And as we read very graphically, and the Lord commanded the fish. And it vomited Jonah onto dry ground. Yeah. No doubt, Jonah created a bit of indigestion for that fish. And God has him vomited out as he gives Jonah a second chance. A second chance to get things right. So as soon as Jonah is vomited out, we read, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. This is almost word for word identical to the original call that God gave Jonah. This is a second chance. A second chance to get it right. A second chance to do what God is calling him to do. A, a second chance to trust God and not just do what he wants to do. And Jonah gets it. God has been merciful to him. God has saved him. God has saved him for a purpose. Jonah has been rescued so that he could be on mission for God. And we read, And Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. And guess what happened when Jonah preached all over this evil, pagan, violent, wicked city? He preached hard. He preached judgment. The judgment was coming in their way in like 40 days. What happened? He preached God's word and a revival broke out. We read this, the Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed and all of them from the greatest to the least put on sackcloth. All over the city, like from the king to the average citizen, people believed God, repented of their sin, turned their lives around all for the glory of God. It's awesome. It's a miracle. It's what God does when you uh, do what he asks you to do. He uses you and through you. Other lives get changed now and forever. But this is not the end of the story like it should be. What I love about the Bible is it tells it as it is. This story should be just happily ever after, but that's not what happens. The Bible does not sugarcoat the lives of people who follow God, including the prophet Jonah. Jonah should be excited that God has just used him, that lives were changed, but he's not. He's angry. He's teched. Jonah really didn't want these people to be forgiven. He wanted them to be blown away, destroyed. He wanted that judgment that he preached to come down in 40 days and just rain sulfur all over Nineveh. These people had been so cruel, so violent and evil towards his people, the Jews. He just wasn't able to forgive them. He only wanted vengeance. That would be justice. And he was ticked that God loves evil, wicked people and will forgive their sin and enter into a loving relationship with them. Jonah can't handle God's love towards this wicked people. So he goes out and he sulks and he gets depressed. And then he tells God he wants to die rather than seeing these people enjoy their life with God. Even after God powerfully, miraculously uses Jonah, the results are not what he wanted. He wanted death to the Ninevites. He wanted justice, not forgiveness. Isn't that how a few of us are, right? We want forgiveness for ourselves, but justice for the other person. And the very last words in the book of Jonah are these words of God to Jonah. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, 
in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals. Do you see God's heart there? There is not a person you lay eyes on who God is not concerned for, who God does not love. And as you see there, God is concerned for all of his creation, including the animals. And what God means by not telling your right hand from the left is just that they are a lost, confused people who need God's love. And friends, God would just say the same to us. Should I not have concern for the regional municipality of Wood Buffalo, in which there are more than 106,000 people who need to be touched and transformed by the love of Jesus? And will you not choose to be a part of my mission to redeem and transform these people for my glory? Friends, this is the message of Jonah. This is your life mission, to be used of God to see lives changed now and forever. Let me just end with these words of Jesus that speak to our struggle to say yes to God's call. Jesus would say to us, hey, don't worry about will we have enough to eat or drink or wear. When God calls, don't worry, trust. People who don't know Jesus, they, they worry about these things. They are full of anxiety. People who, who don't know Jesus get distracted by the temporary things of life. Jesus goes on. Your Father in heaven knows what you need. He knows you need something to eat, something to drink, something to wear. Your Father in heaven knows what you need. Why do we struggle to say yes to God's call? It's because we get caught up like so many others with anxiety of these days. You know, inflation. I don't have enough time. My work is insecure. I have health issues and the list goes on and on. And what anxiety does is it, it causes us to move the focus onto ourselves, our needs, our wants, our fears. And sometimes even when we become followers of Jesus, we, we still keep the focus on ourselves and we don't let go of this anxiety. Rather, we want Jesus to focus on us, our needs, our wants, our desires. And what does Jesus do? Well, to some of us, it seems like he adds to the stress. Like, what is God thinking when he calls us to be on mission? When he speaks to us about maybe being part of a team that we should join or, or a person that we should speak to or pray for or serve in some way, right? I mean, does God not really understand that we're stressed out, that we're kind of at our limit, that we can't handle anymore? I mean, we got families to look after, reputations to keep strong. We, we got to do well where we work. We have no time to serve on a team and talking to someone about Jesus. God, do you know how stressful that is? And we kind of want to run the other way. And Jesus understands this. And so he gives us uh, this antidote to the anxiety we experience when God calls us to live beyond ourselves, when God calls us to love our neighbor as ourselves, to speak a word, to pray, to join a team, a church, whatever. What, what God says to us is counterintuitive, but it's the only answer to the anxiety that grips us. Listen to Jesus as he answers us when we want to say no to him. Seek first God's kingdom and what God wants. Then all your other needs will be met as well. So don't worry about tomorrow, because tomorrow will have its own worries. Each day is enough trouble of its own. So what's the solution to the anxiety that grips us? 
Instead of putting the focus on your anxiety, put your focus on God, on God's work first, and doing what he made you to do. That's called your life mission. And friends, here's the promise. God will make sure that you have all these other things that you need as well. God says, I'm going to take care of your needs. You don't have to worry about all that stuff. If you're going to worry about something, just worry about your life mission. Worry about putting God first. Worry about doing what God wants you to do. So let me ask you, what is God asking you to do? Where is he asking you to serve? Who is he asking you to show some love to, speak a word to? Friends, seek first God's kingdom and what God wants. Then all your other needs will be met as well. You join me in a word of prayer and take the prayer that I pray and just pray it with me and make it your own personal prayer to Jesus. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, I confess that I find it real easy to say Lord, but real hard to make you Lord. I confess that like Jonah, when you call, I often don't listen and I go my own way. Forgive me. Rescue me. Save me. Fill me with your spirit. And give me the faith and the courage to do what you want me to do. Use me in your mission to touch and change lives in this city and beyond. So today, today I commit myself to, to seek you first your kingdom and the things you want me to do. Knowing that you will supply everything I need to live a flourishing life as I do. Thank you that you want to use me for your purposes. Use me to help others experience your love and transforming power. May my life be used of you for your glory. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.